Welcome to What to Expect When You're Healing, your guide to self-empowered healing in the aftermath of abuse. We'll help you gain insight, learn practical skills, and navigate your healing journey to transform from survivor to thriver. Don't worry, your device isn't broken. This is just a rewind episode of the podcast. We found a recording that we did a couple of years ago and we just want to reshare it with you because we feel like you can really learn a lot from this. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everybody to today's Swan Waters podcast titled, What is Resiliency and How Does It Help Us Deal with Life's Big Stuff? And we are delighted to have you join us. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the call. We're gonna, we usually shoot for about 30 or 40 minutes for the podcast. It is pre-recorded, so while we don't have the benefit of a live Q&A, we want to encourage you to ask questions of our speakers down below at the bottom of the, the page where you are right now listening. And feel free to contact the speakers um, on our website, of course, right, right below in the same area. Now, without any further delay, let's move into the topic. And today's speakers are Michael Ballard and Mags. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. <laughs> they have both been here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, bo- both uh, Michael and Mags have written articles on the site, and so you're probably familiar with them. Their contact information is not only on this page, but but um, in a number of different locations. So let's turn to our topic. And Michael, um, let's start with you, sir. How did you get so interested in resilience? Well, it goes back a long time, but at six, I had a concussion and a head injury, and so I'm in a hospital bed going. Would people turn off all the lights and would people whisper, please? <laughs> and my roommate, who showed up a couple hours later, also had a concussion and a head injury. And uh, he reacted 100% another direction. And he was yelling and screaming and angry. And and I was pretty fascinated that two people having a very similar issue could react so differently. So that, at a very young age, made me interested in human behavior because who has a head injury and a headache and screams and shouts? <laughs> didn't make sense. That's a very good question. Yeah, that's fascinating. So at six, I was like, wow. It wasn't that he was wrong. It was just, I just couldn't fathom that I didn't want, I'm breathing hurt. So I couldn't imagine screaming. <laughs> but, you wow. know, with hindsight, I now know that he was scared and that his mother was with him, but he missed his father and where was his brother? And, you know, he was pretty bashed up like I was. So that got me started. Fast forward a few years, and I met a 129-pound man who, who taught martial arts. And Lauren was teaching police officers, and I was lucky enough to be able to sit in, stand in, actually, because I had to participate if I was going to be there, <laughs> and learn some basic safety moves. And I was really fascinated that a 129-pound man had a 190, 240-pound policemen who were in great shape. These were all the young guys. He, he could make them concerned or scared of him because he was well-trained and they were just new. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, this is a whole area of life I've never considered because I wasn't very good at sports. You know, I was the guy that people tried not to laugh at when I went out and tried to play rugby or soccer or football or whatever you want to, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. sport, golf. People to this day, if they find out I was going to go out and golf, which I do every few years, they warn all the birds. 
leave the county. Just don't leave town. Leave the county. So that got me really interested. And then at 27, I had a cancer diagnosis. And that's when I got really serious about resiliency because I was in and out for for several years and I had two bouts of cancer and a failed medical procedure. And well, I quickly found out the system in North America didn't have a lot of rational, emotional support. Mm. Great surgeons, good plumbers, if you will, but how do I cope with this? And the experts said, well, what do you mean? Well, what skills do you have mentally, emotionally for me to cope? Cause I'm really to be silly anxious about this dying thing. Sure. And I was sort of hoping to make it another 50, 60 years at 27. So that made me a, a serious student of resiliency. And that's meant I realized that there were some fundamentals that if people knew, it could lower their fear. And if they had some skills, it could increase the quality of the experience and might just change the quality of the outcome. So that got me started. Wow. Um, now, I've heard you... I've heard you prefer to describe yourself as a tour guide? Can you tell us a little yes. bit about that? Well, being a tour guide, I, I don't have all the answers. No one does about what makes us more resilient over another necessarily. But as a tour guide, I want to show you around. Because if we understand that the journey, regardless of whether it's chronic illness or divorce or bankruptcy or acute illness, there's a lot of similarities in these journeys. Mm-hmm. Then if you understand that, then it's like, oh, that's where I am on the path right now. Hmm. So I talk about the fact that when big stuff happens to us, it's normal to shrink away from it. It's a safety response. Hmm. You know, let's run away, hide behind the tree, go in the cave, whatever you want, and go, whoa, that's yeah. a big issue. Sure. Yeah. But be careful that we don't get stuck there. So the other response after time, we've caught our breaths and marshaled our resources is to stretch into it. What are the skills? Who do we need to have on our team? What are the resources we need to not to cope with this right now? And over time with practice, perhaps thrive with it. Mm. So there's more to it than that, but that's, that's get you started. And so shrinking and stretching are normal. Just that shrinking is a safety response and it's very good in the short term. But in the long term, doesn't necessarily do you any good at all because you're stuck there. You're not moving yeah. forward anymore. Yeah. Sure. So, it's... and I've seen it with people with major illness issues. They go to a couple of appointments and they don't do anything because that's ah, too scary. It's like, well, you don't want to get better. Uh, the surgery would hurt. So I actually had our neighbor at one point got a diagnosis. He gave him his course of treatment, and he never went back. Wow. They told him what his course of treatment would be. He never went for the treatments, the surgery, nothing, and he died. I was like, wow, that's a lot of fear. That's extreme wow. shrinking away from the issue. Yeah. He left yeah. a wife that was pregnant. Wow. So, you know, it wasn't like he was 89 saying, eh, I'm a little close to the end, so you know what, I'm just going to fade out here. Yeah. This was a vibrant, smart, bright 29-year-old neighbor of mine. It was like, ooh, of course, it was really personal to me. It's like, yeah, it hurts a lot, but... <laughs> You got to do yeah. it for your your spouse and your unborn child. Couldn't yep. couldn't bring himself to do it, and I didn't know him well enough as a neighbor to say, "Hey, take my hand and we'll walk you through it." Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so shrinking definitely. and stretching it's it's all part of it. So that's what that's part of the being a tour guide. And then there's the skills that we can practice for calming our body, calming our mind, calming our feelings. And then there's the skills for point of view, framing and reframing, and framing is how we see things based on our age, our gender, our race, our educational levels, where we were born, 
and then reframing is, is there another point of view to this? What am I missing? Mm. And I think I think a lot of a lot of the things that you're mentioning um, will sound really familiar for people who uh, who are in uh, recovery from uh, abuse and um, who have yeah. done any reading of our website. <laughs> Because these are these are a lot of concepts that, uh, on, under various different names and descriptions, I think yeah. um, uh, we mention quite a lot. Um, and uh, it, I, I always think it's good as well that we mention that this, these are not processes that are. Um, and, and the healing journey isn't a process that is that is only specific to abuse. And and in part, what what we go through is an, a normal process, a process of life. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to sort of say that it's that it's nothing what we're doing, obviously. But, um, but it's that's how that's how we heal. That's how you know us as human yeah. beings. This is how we heal. This is how we go through a process, and um, that makes that makes it uh, maybe less. I don't know. From I always remind myself of that on days when I think, oh you know, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just do this? Why do I keep going back to this particular issue um, yes. and and responding in this ludicrous, stupid way? And it's like, because I'm not, I just, I'm not ready yet. I can't, or I, I haven't figured it out yet, or I'm not, you know, I'm not at the right, the right position yet to, to face this particular yes. yep. thing. I, I to- <laughs> to- totally agree. And it's good to hear it from different points of view. Yeah, and I think as well, like this is, and why Swan Waters exists in the first place is because we're all going through that journey and uh, we're all at different stages and, and places and it's good to hear from each other, regardless of where in that journey you are. It's good yes. to hear from each other what it feels like and and how other people have developed uh uh, ways of of dealing and and uh, and moving past particular um, particular trauma. I, I I agree, and so that's I go back to being a tour guide. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying. So where are you on the road here? Where are you on the path? Because it's all normal. It's just not fun sometimes. Mm. And so if you keep finding yourself over here in the in the stuck mode or the shrink mode, that's a safety response. That's fine. But what do you need to learn? Who do you need to ask for help from? What skills do you need to practice so you have less of that and more of the stretch? Because the stretch can be a wonderful place to be. Just before this call, I got off the phone with a published author, two books. We're going to do a video series together for educational purposes. And she's like, you know, Michael, this is my second career. I used to do this, and I used to do this, and it was marvelous. But it didn't pay in the same ways that I wanted to get paid. So she said, it's great to get pay- psychological paychecks and financial paychecks, but it doesn't give you a nine to five. And I started to crave nine to five. So I changed careers and I was like, wow, you know, not all of us at 40 plus go back to school, completely change our educational goals and start fresh from scratch like a 28 year old rookie. But mm. She's had the courage to do that. So she shrank for a while and then she stretched in a big way. And now she's, a, you know, quite a bright light and, look forward to working with her, but it was really interesting to see that she reflected and made the choice, mm-hmm. but we don't all know that we have the choice. So we need the tools. We need to understand the process, but it's good for you to recognize it. Mm. And I there. think, 
and I think as well, like some some people, like I've I've wondered so long about this. I have I have three sisters who all grew up in the same house that I did with the same parents that I did. Who, if you would ask them, will defend them, you know, to you know they'll they'll not just defend them they will convince you that they are fantastic people um and and i know that at some level they know it's not true but they're just they're just not in a in a place where they can face that because even just even just acknowledging to yourself that what you experienced with you know your spouse your parents your manager your you know one of your siblings or whoever sort of is the abuser in your life even just acknowledging to yourself that it it was abuse or it is yep. abuse yep. um that's that's huge and a lot of people don't even get to that step yes i have a relative who at age 7 realized there was something wrong in the family mm. now they they said it wasn't illegal and it wasn't immoral, but there was something really wrong in the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And they, at seven, recognized what I would now call intergenerational stress. There had been a family member that had been murdered by an outsider, then a death wow. of, of, a, of an adult figure in the family. And so suddenly there's only one parent left and the breadwinner's dead and the other breadwinner's dead. And so the family got spread to the wind. Wow. So all the relatives, one child per relative in the whole in, in, in a great, in a large region. So the kids didn't see each other for a few years. Wow. So the mom got reestablished. Well, the next generation down has what I would politely call severe anxiety issues. One of the adults, yeah. 70 years later, still falls out of bed at night. They have panic attacks in their sleep. Wow. Mm. But this family will tell you they have no problems. Yeah. I'm not laughing at them. I'm just laughing at the no problems. Yeah. Because I was asked if I could maybe help them find some peace, but nope. And so you talk to the nieces and nephews of this group and they're like, Oh yeah, boy, I tell you, our family's really bent. Well, they don't mean they're immoral or anything like that. They just, they won't talk about it. Mm. And the people that do talk about it get blacklisted. Exactly. Family because, you know, you're bringing shame on us. Well, as I've been taught by my parents, Privacy is important and needs to be respected, but secrets are dangerous and get in the way and stop healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think I mean for my family, that's that's absolutely uh, a part of the issue as well. I know that I don't know what happened in in, for example, my mother's family, but I know things happened in my mother's family. Yeah. But it's 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 hinted at sometimes, but it's never discussed. It's never talked about, and at some point. You know, however much I can feel for her trauma, um, there there comes a point where I had to say I can't suffer your trauma anymore. Like yes. I, I need to, yep. I need to stop that and and face and, and and fix fix how that impacted me, um, uh, so that totally I don't agree. so so that I don't you know pass it on to the next generation or to you know my friends and 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 um, uh, my spouse and. And you know the people in my life because you don't just pass it down to your kids; you pass it around. You know? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what happens is the experts are saying is it actually starts to change us at a cellular level, which I was just blown away. That research has just come out yeah. in the last six months, and so it becomes intergenerational stress. And so, for your listeners, I live in Canada where we have a lot of issues with our uh, 
First Nations or Native Canadians, those that were here hundreds or thousands, a couple thousand years before the European settlers arrived. Well, we didn't treat them real well when us Europeans arrived. So it's just amazing how people now say, well, they should just get over it. Well, not if it's happened for seven generations. Yeah. Because it takes seven, eight generations to heal it if you're aware. And if you're not aware, we just it just all slides down to the next generation. Yeah. So it, and it's, it's acknowledged very, and validated as well. Yep. So it's really important that we, we pay attention to it and, and work towards healing it. So, yeah, so re- resiliency is also partly a belief system. And I would ask your listeners, if there was a picture in the dictionary of them that only they could see, what are the thoughts, words, phrases, mini-movies, feelings that they've inherited because people have told them that is them? So to mm. use a silly but serious example, in grade two, I never have had a normal voice. So in grade two, the teacher said, Michael, I want you to stand in the front row and be an angel. Just mouth the words, don't sing. Hmm, okay. Hmm. And in grade eight, the music teacher said, why aren't you singing? I said, well, I've always got told don't sing, just mouth the words. Sing. <laughs> oh, you have a perfect voice, but that's a really good voice. You've got a, an exceptional sense of timing. I do? If I listen to the first teacher, I should never sing because my voice is yuck. If I believe mm. the second teacher, I have an above-average voice with exceptional timing. Yeah. So I choose to believe the second one, but that first teacher, when I turned 50 and the Internet really took off, I had people that I hadn't talked to since grade two, three, and four, and they all asked me that was in that class, do you remember so-and-so? And they used words that I won't repeat, but let's just say evil came up <laughs> as one of the descriptors. And they said, do you remember that she made everybody cry in at least one subject? Because, well, you're she just stupid at that. What? Yeah, she was. Why can't you be like, you know, why oh. can't you be like Meg's? Because she's nice <clears throat> and smart on this one. And then the next topic, well, look at Joel. Look how good he is. Michael, what is wrong with you? So yeah. it's oh, really man. interesting, our self-definition, how we've allowed life to date to define us. And it's our job to do housework, keep some of the truth. I do have a good, decent voice. It's just not mm. world famous. And I do have great timing. <laughs> if I took some lessons, it might actually be, you know, it wouldn't earn me a living, but at least people wouldn't throw, you know, empty bottles at me. <laughs> and so that's okay. So I threw away the first one and I've accepted the second one. If I had listened to one relative in my self-definition, when I failed a math test, I think it was grade eight, it's okay. None of us in the family can do math well. Well, you got to be careful what you buy into. Yeah, because definitely. Because if I believed that, I'd have never got my job in sales where I worked in millions of, adult, millions of dollars. Now, it's, um... let's be clear. I'll 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 tell you uh I'll I'll tell sure. you what they told me because English isn't my first language. Um Okay. But <laughs> but I was I would have never told, known. And I was always told I was really bad at learning languages. Um and uh <laughs> I know, and and people find that really odd but I'm 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 not bad at learning languages at all. I just had a couple of bad teachers. <laughs> well, <laughs> who didn't quite tap into you know, uh, who who just yes. made people you know, learn vocab lists. Yeah, that bores me. But if you just well, put me in a yeah. situation where I have to learn a new language, then sure, I'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. Yes, that I understand. When I go to the east coast of Canada in New Brunswick, 
or also known as Nouveau Brunswick, if you parlez vous en français, within a week, I'm starting to pick up words that I haven't remembered since French class. So if exactly. I live there, I, <laughs> I believe, being an experiential kind of learner, I would pick it up. So, exactly. you know, how we've allowed others in life to define us, we have to be careful. When my daughters were tiny, four and six or five, no, I guess they were five and seven, we took them to modeling class. We did not wish them to be supermodels. But this particular modeling agency offered lessons in confidence for kids. Mm. And so there was oh, great idea. learning how to strut their stuff with attitude, learning how to give a three-minute speech. And it was just something away from school with a yeah. new set of people. Well, we used to go past this giant billboard on the side of the freeway, the highway, where people did, back then, 70 miles an hour. So, so whatever that is in kilometers, I'm sorry, I forget. And it used to figure the show for for five or six lessons, so for about six weeks, a lady advertising pantyhose. So her bottom was ensconced in pantyhose, and there was this long six-foot-three ravishingly beautiful woman. And I remember saying to my daughters one day, does your mom look like that? No, Dad, mommy's really tiny. I said, well, don't forget, there's more than one way to be smart, and there's more than one way to be beautiful. Mm. So advertisers and marketers, which is my background, our mm. job was to make you feel less than. So if you just drove the right car, Joel, think of how manly you'd be. Yeah. If you just <laughs> wore the right perfume, Meg, just think of how womanly you'd be. And if I just wore the right watch, wouldn't I be handsomer? Yeah. And a little bit of stuff and the right fragrance and the right car is fun, but we don't need it. And nope. it, to buy it because you wanted it and it's fun to have is great. But to buy it because you desperately need it to enhance yourself. Oh, to validate yourself, yeah, I think a yeah. lot of it as well, and I think this is this is definitely something that ties into abuse recovery is because we're, we've, uh, um, I think a lot of survivors have gotten so used to looking for external validation, yeah. um, and that's because a that's a really up. yeah exactly, and that's and that's in a sense it's kind of a, a a risky game because if your validation comes from something outside yourself it can be taken away and that's the Absolutely. and that's the whole game of abuse in whatever situation yes and when i was walking the halls during my cancer issues and emergency surgery issues i met a few people i would say hey hi i'm michael i'm in room so and so bed a and they go oh man i'm not going to be alive in 6 weeks don't waste your time making friends with me excuse me and so that just boggled my mind cuz whether you got six weeks left or 60 years, if we've got the time to hang out, you've got something to teach me yeah. and yeah. let's hang out and I'll learn something I should know and do or I'll learn something I shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I, I, I found it very interesting. So there's another skill or another skill or consideration for, the, for our listeners is that I heard it described as disidentification. Do you have the issue or does the issue have you? Mm. So I heard it described that way and that at three in the morning when I was fighting cancer, especially the first time, I would be, to be silly but serious, very n -n 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 nervous at three mm. in the morning because I could barely sleep from the fear and the anxiety. Mm. But around about four It's always in the morning, three in the morning, I, by the way. Oh, yes, I know. It really is. 3.20 was my wake-up time if I hadn't woken up uh, by three. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Do you have the issue or does the issue have you? Well, for an hour or so a day, the issue owned me. But then yeah. I would fight back with affirmations, prayer, meditative walking. I have theme music. I have a whole bag of tricks. And they're not tricks, actually. They're powerful skill sets. Mm. And I was back to having cancer 
but Michael was also had a career, a spouse, a life, hobbies, and there was a list. So it's really important that we be careful because if we over-identify, then we're stuck in a one mindset way of thinking and we don't see life any other way. And I was darned if cancer was going to turn me into the cancer patient called Michael. I like Michael. And one of the things going on right now is it's real serious, but I got cancer. But I also have a spouse, a house, a hobby, a career. So it's really important to know that we've over-identified, asked for help, and start to work on chipping away and disidentify. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and we we sometimes call it as well as getting stuck in the swamp, right? It's, it's yes. If you get stuck in that place where all you do is complain about complain or lament about how abuse happened to you or how, you know, whatever happened to you. Um, but obviously within the Swan Waters context, how abuse happened to you. There, there comes a point where uh, that's not going to get, yes, you have to go through that part, right? You have to get through that swamp. But there comes a point where you... We need to we need to move on and and yes. and get past that. I totally agree, and it doesn't always happen. So nope. it's important to own it and say, "I can do this." Yeah, and absolutely. Move from there. Yeah. So as we go through the tour, shrinking, shrinking, stretching, bitter, better. It's really important to say, so what do I want? And I would suggest that we have to set goals. And mm. traditionally, from my corporate background, goals are measurable, specific time. There's resources to allocate towards them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, a couple of years ago, I was going to have a big birthday. So I thought, you know, it's time to actually get back to my 30-year-old weight because I don't want to be one of those old guys with suspenders with can't keep his pants up anymore with a belt. <laughs> Because, you know, gravity does take hold. When you hit middle age and you get a middle, it's a a constant battle. So I did it. And one of my friends said, aren't you lucky? I said, well, what's luck got to do with not having dessert six nights a week? What's luck got to do with not eating a a whole container of ice cream every week? There's no luck Mm. there. I love cookies. I can make a mean cookie. And to brag, my claim to fame is my kids used to take my cookie to school and they come home and say, Dad, I traded one of your homemades for five store cookies. <laughs> <laughs> my cookies were pr- my cookies were in an emergency. Three of my cookies were a meal, if you really had to. And they were also big enough that if they were frozen, they could cause a, a toe injury if you dropped it. <laughs> so setting goals, rationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, they're all important. Setting emotional goals. Yeah. And so one of the things that people got mad at me for at one point in the hospital ward, the guy said, uh, it's no fun in here, man. I said, well, whose fault's that? I said, I got my friend bringing me movies in. We're going to watch funny movies. Come on and join me. Ask your family to bring me in funny. I'm not in the mood to laugh. I said, either am I, so I'm going to watch them for sure. So depending Absolutely. on your taste, sorry, depending on your taste and beliefs, watching Robin Williams stand-up comedy shows from the 80s that were uh, PG-17 by North American standards, they were pretty risque, so you didn't want to watch them necessarily with your grandmother in the room or your kids under 17, but oh my, I remember laughing so hard I physically hurt for days. (laughs) So setting emotional goals, I chose to be happy several times a week. People people said, what do you need? 
bring me an old book of humor of jokes. Bring me an old cartoon book. Bring me something that's silly. Bring me some old audios that are silly. Admittedly, I do the opposite sometimes as well when I feel really stuck and I just, but it's not coming out. I just watch something that's just going to make me weep for like hours. And then, and then I don't know, just then, then I can move on. (laughs) Uh, I think that's really smart because I was going to say one of my theme songs is very, very sad. It's all in a minor chord and I, it, if I if I if I need it or am in the mood for it, it's a good weep. Yeah, and so I think that's also just as important and a good counterbalance to the having fun and joy. Mm. Good for you. Yeah, and it's yeah. and I think as well like what what a lot of what I hear a lot of times is yeah, but if you're always positive, you're just sort of pushing down the more negative, the more complicated stuff. But it's not, you know, being. Uh, having that sort of positive mindset, it has nothing to do with not feeling the, you know, the, the icky complicated stuff. Um, yeah, you ha- you, yeah, you have to, because otherwise it's just going to come up again, you know, next week, next year or 10 years from now. And the longer you push it down, the, uh, the harder it's going to hit you in the face. I, I totally agree. There's only one quote. I believe that's a hundred percent original me. And that's uh-huh. what we repress makes us regress. Yeah, definitely. So if you don't deal with it, Good one. it'll come back and bite you with interest. Mm. And so I realize that when we shrink and stay safe, that's a good immediate response. And but sometimes we need it because, you know, you know, life happens. And, you yes. know, I, like I had it uh, very much as, as both of you know, I recently moved and moving is a... It's a relatively stressful thing to do. Um, and uh, so there were a couple of days where I just, I just couldn't, <laughs> just couldn't face it. Yep. But I just had to push, I just had to push through and keep packing and keep doing it because, you know, the movers are going to come um, and they want your yeah, stuff in true. boxes. So it has to, um, <laughs> you just, you know, you have to keep on going. Um, yes, and, exactly. and so it, it I was reminded a couple of times by my friends saying like, um, uh, you need to meditate at least an hour a day. And if you don't have time, <laughs> make it two hours. I was like, but I don't you know? have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I worked with a group where they were having a crash and burn problem. That was the point where it was jeopardizing the whole company. And I kept saying to them, you need to have the best quality sleep now that you've ever, ever had, because it's all hands on deck and without a quality sleep, you know, the fire isn't going to burn your building down. There's no fire to burn your building down. This is a marketplace issue. You got to go home, exercise, eat the best fuel, have fun. And of course, they were all thinking they should be at work 20 hours a day. And I said, well, I think that's actually hurting your productivity. And all the research I've ever read is it slows you down. You got to go out. You got to be playful. You got to yeah, rest. Exactly. You gotta, and you, the quote about if you can't afford to meditate for an hour, you better spend two hours. Well, I was trying to get them to do meditative walking. So you have to walk between the two buildings. Yes, it's a seven-minute brisk. Take 20. Oh, we can't do that. (laughs) I did did that that all the time. The busier I was at work, the longer my lunchtime walk was because I just really needed to get away and, and get out and just and just break from it and I'm, I'm noticing it now with because I just like I said I just had to move and um, and obviously you know there's there's a, there's a fairly big deadline uh, when it comes to that um, but 
at the same time, uh, right now, I'm I'm realizing, okay, do you know what? I need to catch up on some of that rest, and and yes. and that's and that's fine. Yep. Uh, but I need to keep on calculating that into the into my daily programming. I totally um, agree. So, so I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, good for you. I think it's really wise. But that goes back to setting the goals because we got mm. uh, to me setting feeling goals is a powerful skill. And so when I go to the mall, I decide that I'm going to meet three or four little kids, three or four seniors, and we're going to smile. Yeah. So People not to freak force out myself to smile at them, Michael. What's that? People sm- when you smile at random people, they freak out. Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, guess what? That's their problem, not mine. But I know. I, I do it all the time. And I smile and wave at the little kids. And almost always... You get a smile and a wave back on our oh, occasion. Definitely. They, they talk to you, so you get to have a conversation with a two-year-old. And I remember the mother saying, wow, my son doesn't talk to anybody like this. Mm. And I said, well, I just noticed him noticing me, so I thought I'd say hello. Like, I say hello to you. Why wouldn't I say hello to a child? And I said, you know, it's age-appropriate <laughs> behavior. So we had a lot of fun. I usually have a lot of fun at the mall. Mm, I do that with dogs, but yeah. Same, yeah. same oh, well, difference. Yes, me, yeah, you can have interesting too. conversations with dogs as well. Oh, well, our local mall <laughs> has just made it, it was animal friendly, but of course they had too many cleanliness issues around oh, that because the owners weren't all well prepared. Sure. So mm-hmm. for a while, you could go see every size and shape of animal going that was a four-footed beast. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun to go over because there's a couple people have, I don't know what they are, they're like a small pony. Ah, those ones. You know? Yeah. Legs like a supermodel, <laughs> tall, sleek. Another one that looks more like a woolly mammoth with the head wonderful. of a dog. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So you get to meet people. So, yeah, so part of being resilient is how have you allowed others to define you? Are you merging and purging and going through your self-definitions and throwing away what's not adequate? Are you keeping your sense of humor fully in there? So when my daughters were really tiny, I would say, so it's a good thing you look like mommy because that way, and you're, you're like mommy, you'll be smart and cute. But just think, you've got daddy's big toes, so you have a secret weapon. They're really smelly. <laughs> so I, I, I attempted to work on their self-image from the side door, if you will. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. too serious, mm-hmm. but just planted some seeds that they are the children of. And so I'd say, and you know, your mom is really good at this. So pay attention to how she does it, because if you can make that part of who you are, it makes life easier. Mm. Yeah. Now, nice. on the other hand, dad's really good at this. So if you can make a part of your life, that'll make your life easier over here. Mm. On the other hand, though, it's a good thing you look like your mom because you'd be a lot curious. Imagine if you looked like your dad, big nose, <laughs> floppy ears, and, you know, I'd say something self-deprecating. But when you're dealing with four-year-olds and six-year-olds, <laughs> Yeah. It works. It's, it's me. I can take it. I've been bullied by the biggest, and it didn't work. So, yeah. yeah so, self-image is really important, and self-definition, and paying attention to when we're shrinking versus stretching, and who do we invite into our lives, and what do we allow them to do with us and to us, mm-hmm. and how do yeah. we set boundaries and expectations? I expect my friends to be really respectful, but I do have a couple of friends. We can trash talk each other like you wouldn't believe because it's all in jest. Yeah, his but mother's ha- dresses yeah. them funny. 
But that's something that builds up, right? That's yeah, mm, yeah. yeah, exactly. And no, uh, I don't know. And, and to be honest, I've noticed this, and I and I know that other people have as well, because they've mentioned it to me as well. Uh, since I've uh, you know come to terms with the toxicity in my family, and and um, you know uh, cut contact with them, I've also uh, lost friends because I've realised that those friendships were toxic as well yeah. but i just i yes. was so i never learned to you know i never learned boundaries yeah. um I, so i you know and and as you sort of progress through that and it's and it's really scary right because you've already cut away your family so now you're cutting part of your part of your um yes. friends and, and like where's your support network but seriously the more you cut people who are not good for you the more room you make for people who just mm. make your life amazing do you I know agree. what i mean nice i 100% agree with you because as we become healthier we attract healthier mm. and as as one of my friends who's a who's a who's an income coach as we attract wealthier we get wealthier mm-hmm. mm. and it was like hmm so yeah. I was very fortunate because I had a relative who told me at a very early age, about 12, this family can teach you values and morals for behavior in the community and be respectful to yourself and others. This family can teach you this. This uncle's a genius at this, and this auntie is awesome at this. And he took me through, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, but between you and me, there's nobody here that can teach you how to make an above-average income, so you're going to need outside advice. (laughs) I don't care what anybody else here tells you. Wow. So that took a lot of courage, though, Yeah. because he saw that I was ambitious. I mean, I had my own business by six years old because I have an abundance of energy. Mm. And by 12, I had a lawn care business with 11 customers. Mm, I cut a lot of I cut a lot of lawns for four years, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great lesson on being independent and planning your meals and sending invoices and all the small oh, business stuff that you got to do. Absolutely. Mm. But, hey, yes. uh, Michael Max, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for participating today with us in this discussion. Um, a wonderfully interesting topic, but in the interest of time, we should probably break yes. here. Uh, I wanted to give you each an opportunity if you have any closing thoughts or you know, recommendations, anything in general you want to you know, tell the audience before we break. Uh, here we go. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go first because I have sure. two very short uh, little remarks. Um, there's, and, um, we'll leave some links to this uh, on, the, on the podcast page, but I think there's a, there's a few um, sort of tools that we describe on the website that can help with that, um, with what we spoke about. Like uh, how, so we, we mentioned the word affirmations and we mentioned, you know, um, what beliefs do you hold about yourself? And we've got a, a wonderful little um, exercise on, on creating your own self-affirmations uh, with regard to that, which is really, really nice. And uh, we recently added a little something about um, making your own recovery roadmap which is really just a mo- take a moment to think, why did I start on this journey and where do I still want to go? And and it's yes. kind of nice to do that every so often. I mean, I mean, don't do it every week, but, you know, every couple of months or, or just when you're having a day when you, you can't remember why in the world you started on this super difficult journey, just go back and, and have a think about why did I, <laughs> why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> Mm. And it will and it will sort of make you think about how far you've come and it will make you think about the the goals, the healing goals that you've got for yourself. And, um, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a nice little uh, exercise to do when you're when you're kind of feel maybe a little bit rudderless. Yes. Oh, they're very powerful. 
but that ties into having emotional goals. Mm. Yes. Nice. Really important. So I would leave our, our listeners with the quote from Camus that I really love, that in the midst of winter, I found in me an invincible summer. So who are you inviting your life that will support you and nurture you to help you move forward? Who are you safe with and who will you be even safer with? And where can you find them? It's a quest. Hmm. And we don't always find them where we think we're going to find them. I don't have all the answers. It's just a question that I got asked years ago. And one of them was when I was a teenager, he worked at a hardware store where I worked and he was 80 years old and he was had more wisdom than most. Wow. So he helped me with my business smarts about not being taken advantage of. Mm. Too trusting and all that stuff, you know. Mm. And then the other thing is, is I will give you a link and we're going to uh, have a new course up for, for uh, adults and with ch- children or without children. And we call it Imagine Yourself. And uh, it helps people better understand their journey as they uh, build their resiliency. And then we've got some skills that they can put in their... Uh, their phone to listen to or in their computer to listen to, some audio programs to fall asleep to that helps nice. them build their resiliency. So nice. Fantastic. We'll make sure we link to that too on this page. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. So again, both of you, I thank you so much for participating today in the discussion. Great topic. I mean, I can see us circling back on this one for sure. Um, and thank you to all our, our participants who uh, are listening in. If you enjoyed listening in, please come back for more. Um, I'm not sure what we're talking about next time, but I know it'll be interesting. If you have any questions, of course, you can submit them on the page below uh, where you're listening to us now. And if you sign up for our newsletter, we'll let you know when a new interview is available. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, Have a great week, and we'll look forward to uh, you listening in next time. Mm